Irritable bowel syndrome is a major health concern for many Americans. But how people deal with irritable bowel syndrome and how it impacts them can differ physically, emotionally, and socially. We're going to talk about this today on Primary Care Today. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and with me is Dr. Andrea Shin. She is a practicing gastroenterologist. She's an assistant research professor of medicine at Indiana University in Indianapolis. First of all, Dr. Shin, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I want to start right off the bat by talking about what was called the Irritable Bowel Syndrome in America Survey or the IBS in America Survey. It talked a little bit about the numbers, the statistics, the experience. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So um, Irritable Bowel Syndrome, for those who don't know, is a very common uh, GI condition. And it's uh, a condition that's characterized by recurring abdominal pain in association with abnormal or altered bowel patterns. So that could be constipation or diarrhea. And it's estimated that it affects about 10 to 15 percent of the population here in the U.S., and that's about 35 million Americans. And so the AGA, which is the American Gastroenterological Association, set out to conduct this survey to get a better understanding of how IBS um, affects individuals. And it's uh, pretty much the largest survey that's ever been conducted on the topic, and they polled both uh, patients, a little over 3,000 patients, as well as about 300 uh, physicians. And what did they find out when they looked into it? So um, there were a lot of interesting results from the survey, and a few of the messages that we're trying to get out right now are the, uh, first of all, there are different kinds of IBS. Um, so the two big categories are IBSD and IBSD. So IBSD stands for constipation-predominant IBS. This is uh, abdominal pain with constipation, while IBSD is an acronym for diarrhea-predominant IBS, and that's diarrhea with recurring abdominal pain. And some of the key findings that we're trying to get out there right now is, number one, um, there are similarities between the groups in that both groups um, uh, do report that their symptoms interfere with their work or productivity at um, school on a similar level. So about 50% of individuals with IBS symptoms said that their symptoms were bothersome enough um, to really impact their work. And on average, they, they, they reported, based on the survey, that symptoms caused them to um, have decreased productivity about nine days a month, and then it also caused them to even miss a work or school about two days a month. And um, in general, a big, a big group, about two-thirds of both IBSD and IBSD patients also said their symptoms were um, bad enough that they couldn't even enjoy normal daily activity. So that was kind of one of the first messages is uh, whether it's C or D, it has a huge impact on what you're able to do. Um, and then the second thing that we're really trying to also emphasize is that uh, there are some unique differences in the emotional experience between IBSD and IBSD patients. What we're finding is that people with IBSD were really reporting the sense of embarrassment. Um, 81% would say that they would avoid situations where they couldn't be near a bathroom. And then on the other side of that, IBSC patients were um, reporting the sense of frustration. They would try, uh, uh, many of them try over-the-counter laxatives, uh, and this often causes dissatisfaction before they even are able to see a doctor. Um, one of the interesting findings from the survey was that 64% of IBSC patients 
actually said they even avoided having sex because of how their symptoms made them feel. When you get to that level where it's affecting their sexuality, you show it really shows the impact and the, and the dramatic impact it can have on a person's life. I thought this was an eye-opener for me, too, because when I see patients in the clinic, I don't always ask them about, you know, every aspect of how their symptoms affect their life. And I thought this survey um, really gave us some detailed insight into that. And then when you see that it's not only affecting, you know, how they feel, it's affecting their work, it's affecting their relationship, you know, with their partner, um, it just it really hits home how how big of an issue this is. It's a public health issue almost. When you said that, that was eye-opening because we, you know, we have a family physician and primary care audience. And, you know, I know I'm in, in the clinic. I see patients all the time. And but I don't usually put sexuality, relationship with partner along with the diarrhea. I'm thinking of discomfort, exactly. embarrassment, but you don't realize that at that intimate level it can have that kind of impact. Right, right. And, then, you know, it's getting to the point where it's not only affecting the individual with the symptoms, but it's affecting the people that they're working with, that they're, you know, in relationships with. And um, it, it, it really, it's a really huge quality of life issue. You know, I know there's been an attempt, and there's an attempt, I've heard it on radio and television commercials, where talk to your doctor about embarrassing things. Your doctor's used to it. They are not going to be embarrassed by you saying it. They're not going to judge you. And I think that's very helpful because it encourages the conversation. But to have the stats that you're bringing, you know, to bring them in, it's impactful for physicians as well. Right, right. And I think, you know, trying to increase this public awareness and then also trying to close that gap between patients and physicians to, um, you know, just really emphasize it's okay to talk about these topics, you know, bowel symptoms, diarrhea, constipation, people don't really feel comfortable about that. And our message really is to try to encourage people to um, feel, you know, feel empowered to be open and honest with the physician and, you know, the, the call to action that the AGA is, is trying to send out with, especially with the survey results, is to encourage people to speak up early to their doctors, not to suffer in silence for years on end, um, and speak up completely as in not only talk about their GI symptoms, but also, you know, get it's, it's okay to get on a, on a deeper level, how this affects you emotionally as well as socially. And then, um, you know, sometimes... It also requires people speaking up often. So it may not just be in one visit or um, one conversation. Sometimes you have to have this open dialogue and communication. Let them know what your symptoms are doing, how you're responding to treatment. It's, uh, it's a work in progress. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. And today I'm speaking with Dr. Andrea Shin. She is a practicing gastroenterologist. She's an assistant research professor of medicine at Indiana University in Indianapolis, and we're talking about irritable bowel syndrome. Um, I would think a lot of, I mean, it makes sense, but a lot of us probably never thought of irritable bowel syndrome as IBSC and IBSD and breaking them down. We just kind of thought of irritable bowel syndrome. I think in and of itself, that's a very important thing to make physicians aware of. Yes, and I, I think that's, um, that's actually a really great point because even as physicians, sometimes um, we don't do the best job of really characterizing what type of IBS this is because depending on the type, the management can differ vastly. Now, when you look at some of the stats, I mean, you, you talked about a lot of them, but when you're talking about the statistics and the changes, a lot of this then will impact us as primary care providers on how we're going to help them manage their own symptoms. What's the difference 
when you provide guidance to those who have IBSC versus IBSD? What what are the different suggestions you give? Because uh, as you've shown, there's clearly a different uh, way they deal with it or how it impacts them. Right. Um, so depending on the type of IBS uh, an individual has, you know, in terms of giving guidance, I really try to focus on what are the predominant symptoms that are bothering this individual um, in, in particular. Is it the pain that's really the, the worst component of it? Is it the constipation? Is it the diarrhea? You know, you don't want to tr- throw too many treatments on at once, but um, I, I always try to approach it in a stepwise manner. I, I, you know, I try to focus on what's the first or the main symptom that really, really is um, uh, causing this individual to suffer. And depending on that, for example, if it's, you know, if it's a constipation issue, we have lots of medications to try to improve uh, stool frequency and, and bowel patterns. If it's a pain issue, we do have treatments available to try to treat abdominal pain. For people with diarrhea, if it's an issue with um, incontinence and frequency, we have medications to try and uh, decrease frequency and and give uh, sufferers more control over their bowel movements. So knowing exactly, you know, what the spectrum of, you know, the spectrum of their symptoms and what are the issues that are bothering uh, that individual the most is really important because that can um, affect the type of treatment strategy that a physician will um, recommend for a patient. What sort of things, uh, when you look at it as a gastroenterologist, do we at the primary care level maybe not think of or not look at, uh, either in, in identifying irritable bowel syndrome quick enough or in finding approaches to treat it? You know, I think most primary care physicians do an excellent job, actually, of trying to address the patient as a whole. But I think there is just, given the burden of this condition and the multitude of other um, medical needs that an individual may have, sometimes it can be difficult to really get into all of the detailed symptoms and uh, the emotional and psychological aspects of this. Um, And so... Sometimes it may just require a dedicated visit just, you know, about the GI symptoms in particular. Um, And then we also encourage people if, you know, they find that they're, um, you know, maybe they've tried some first-line treatments and they're um, still feeling that they have, you know, a significant room for improvement, that, um, you know, meeting with a gastroenterologist who has, um, you know, expertise, or experience in, in managing IBS, that's always a, a, a good approach, too. You know, someone who can really focus on the condition if, um, you know, if, if the first-line strategies really aren't uh, uh, providing enough relief or improvement. Yeah, you anticipated my next question, which is, like, when do we turn for help? I mean, a lot of things, obviously, we try to do and try to, to, to take a quick approach and help the patient, but when should what sort of signs, symptoms, issues should lead us to say, let, let's get turned to the gastroenterologist for assistance? Yeah, I think that's a great um, question because I think that's something that a lot of primary care physicians do battle with. Um, I, I know that, um, if, you know, I know personally in my clinic, by the time that the patient reaches me, their um, primary care provider really has tried, um, you know, uh, different first-line therapies in terms of trying to improve their bowel habits. But by the time, you know, they come to see a gastroenterologist, it may be to the point where, um, you know, there is a big uh, pain component that sometimes we have to use um, 
uh, special uh, kind of pain modulator approaches to it, or if there's a big uh, psychological overlap and um, they need uh, specific medications that might be able to address their IBS symptoms as well as the psychological um, consequences of it. I think, you know, once you start getting into, um, you know, making sure that you're, you're needing very specific treatments to address these um, kind of more complex issues, that, that that might be a really good time to think about referring to a gastroenterologist because there are, a, there are a lot of different medications available for C and D and so forth, but there are different types of um, medications that, you know, a gastroenterologist might prefer for someone who has C with a lot of pain versus uh, D with a lot of anxiety. Um, so that, that might be, you know, someone that I would think about referring onward. Um, Dr. Brian McDonough, I'm with my guest, Dr. Andrea Shin. We only have about a minute and a half left or so. What didn't I ask you? I mean, they say, boy, I wish he had asked this question. What would you like to talk about in the last minute or so? I think um, really the take-home message here is that we just, as you know, as the AGA and as you know, uh, supporters of the survey, the message that we really just want to get across is, one, make sure that people um, – feel, you know, increase their awareness about their symptoms, to feel empowered to speak up to their physicians, speak up uh, early so and speak up in detail completely, and, um, you know, speak up often. Anyone who thinks they might have IBS or um, wants to learn more about the survey, I would also encourage them to go to the website, which is ibsinamerica.gastro.org. And one last question while I have you. Um, the treatments, as far as you see them, have they improved a lot recently? Or are they the same as we've used for many years? How do you see the treatments for IBS? I think that the treatments for IBS are um, expanding each year. We're, we're making new progress. And even in the recent few years, we've had um, some several new medications that have been approved for IBS. And there's always um, ongoing research in this topic. It's an area that um, you know people are really passionate about. And so I think there's a lot of promise on the horizon. Dr. Andrea Shin, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on Primary Care today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate us uh, having the chance to talk about it. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash primarycare today to download the podcast and learn more on the series. Thanks for listening.